podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Hamden Road with me, Andy Barge, for part one of an insightful interview with an iconic Scottish football figure. This week's guest doesn't need much of an introduction, for he's the last man to have taken Scotland to the World Cup finals. I sat down for a chat with Craig Brown. So Craig, thanks very much for coming on the show. I hope you're looking forward to it as much as I am. Um, yes, thanks Andy, I'm looking forward to it. So you went on board at the SFA coaching staff in 1986, I believe, yes. Was that quite a, a daunting prospect or one of excitement? Because you were working with Sir Alec Ferguson. 1986, I was first joined the SFA to work uh, full-time for them, but I was on the coaching staff at Largs at part-time at summers on the coaching courses from 1970, would you believe? Right. So, <laughs> you know, an old man here. But in 1970, I was a young apprentice coach with Eddie Turnbull, who was wonderful, and he taught me a lot. And uh, in 1986, I was working in the College of Education in Ayr. It was called Craigie College then. And I got a phone call one morning. Uh, The secretary came along to the class I was working with. And the the class, it was a 10-minute changeover. He worked from there to the 10 to there. There's a call from a Mr Ferguson for you. And I'm saying... This will be Ali McCoy winding me up. <laughs> and uh, she says, he's called Alec Ferguson. He's phoning from Aberdeen. I said, oh. <clears throat> so she said, he asked you to call him back. I said, I'll come at lunchtime then. Mm-hmm. So I go at lunchtime and I call back and I'll never forget the conversation. Brun, how would you like the holiday of a lifetime? He says, and I says, well, where are we going? He says, Mexico. I says, he says, you don't have to take the Scottish team because Jock Steen died. And uh, he said, "If I me to take the team, and uh, I want you to come as one of the coaches." I said, "I've got a job. I can't just drop everything and come." He says, "Look, ask for unpaid leave of absence. We'll pay you." And I said, "Well, I'll see, but I don't hold out too much hope." I remember this. He says, hey, "We'll have the holiday of a lifetime." He says, "We've got three games to play, but we won't let that interfere with our enjoyment." <laughs> well, I think the results proved that was the case. <laughs> But anyway, so I asked, and I always give great credit to the governors, the principal and the governors of Craigie College, because they gave me paid leave of absence. They said it was an honour to go to the Scottish team in the World Cup in Mexico. So that was my introduction. And when you look back at that World Cup, was it everything you, well, we went out in the group stages, but as an experience, was it everything you had hoped for or more? Well, when you say it was all I expected, it was even more because... It was a fabulous holiday. <laughs> and even the players would agree, they, they loved Santa Fe. They loved the training sessions that we tried to make interesting for them. They got some time off. There was a couple of race meetings, horse race meetings. And you can imagine the lads loved going to them. Yeah. Every Caledonian society <laughs> in, in America invited you to have barbecue. Yeah. Now, now, remember, we were about to go to play in the World Cup, but this is a fortnight before it. <laughs> 
So we went to a couple of barbecues, uh, Caledonian Society of uh, New Mexico, Santa Fe, and we had a great time. Then we went to Mexico, which, to be honest, wasn't particularly pleasant because we didn't have a nice environment. Mm -hmm. We were staying uh, in a place the players called it Alcatraz, you know. <laughs> it was like a prison. Uh, the, it wasn't a pleasant hotel. I don't know who picked the hotel. It was uh, picked by someone for us. Mm -hmm. Now, that taught me a lot. Okay. You go to the hotel when you're going to the World Cup, as we did later with Andy Roxburgh and myself. We went out and scouted out a suitable hotel, which was really pleasant for the lads. This was detached, and it was there were security guards around it, and the lads couldn't get out. It wasn't a normal environment in a village where they could go and uh, integrate with the locals. So, if you're being, if I'm being honest, I didn't particularly enjoy the enjoyed the, the chat with the lads. I enjoyed the environment, the training. Training was great. Everything was fine, but the living accommodation, that opulent though it was, was lonely, boring, and it wasn't in a normal, what you would say, environment. How did the big, bigger personalities in the playing squad, like Miller, Sunis, Aiken, how did they deal with that? Well, they were okay, but they, they moaned a bit, you know, oh, you know, this is crap, you know. <laughs> the, the players are good at moaning, but, you know, I don't think they were brave enough to, to moan publicly in front of the manager, you know. But you'd hear them, and when you're not the manager, when you're the assistant, or you're one of the assistants, you hear, you get more intimate, <laughs> you get more knowledge from them. Now, it was a very high-powered squad, you know, when you think of the players, you mentioned some of them, and Leighton was one of the goalkeepers. Uh, the, I'm trying to think, I think Alan Ruff was the other goalkeeper. It wasn't Andy Gorham at that time, it was Alan Ruff. And then you had Stevie Nicholl from Troon here, mm -hmm. You had uh, uh, Miller, McLeish, Sunis, Strachan, Cooper, uh, McAvaney, uh, Archibald, you, you know, there were some, uh, Eamon Bannon, I'm just rattling off some of the names I remember from the trip. So you, you can imagine the banter was brilliant all yeah. the time, but there are, it's hard to avoid boredom, in particular until the games start, then you're watching the opposition, you're yeah. watching games with interest, and of course you have games to play. So it's, it's not, you know, people say, well, what a fabulous holiday. Well, I wouldn't say it was a fabulous holiday. The pre-World pre Cup stuff was terrific. Yeah. And uh, so I, I learned a lot because I was at another two World Cups after that and two European Championships after yeah. that with Andy and myself, and we learned how to try and make the players a bit happier. Looking back at the, the World Cup, do you believe that Scotland had what it took to, to get out of that group? Yeah, well, we're un unfortunate, I think desperately unfortunate because in the first game against Denmark, their key player, the goal scorer, was uh, Charlie Nicholas. Now, Charlie was fabulous at the time, uh, playing for Arsenal. He could do no wrong, and I think they set about to. So he was hacked down badly by Denmark <laughs> and injured and, and uh, taken off and never, never kicked another ball. So that was a, an unlucky one. Then... We played in the last game, we played Uruguay, and uh, Stevie Nicholl missed an open goal when it was nothing. And that, if he'd popped that in, we'd have qualified. And it ended nothing, nothing. And we had a man sent off. They had a man sent off in the first 
few minutes for kicking and striking. A World Cup record, I'm sure. Aye, off, off and to play all the game with ten men, and uh, you know you're thinking about playing against uh, Uruguay with ten. We should, they've got ten, but they had a wonderful striker. I remember his name, nice, one of them had a poetic name, Francis Scully, and he played the, the back four, if I remember, Goff, Miller, McLeish and Malpass, four brilliant players, and he played the four of them himself, this guy, Francis Scully. Uh, so, we were sure, I remember going into, you know, just come up, went towards half time, and Alec used to say, what do you think, what do you think? And I says, I don't know, we've got, four at the back against one take one of them off I like you know you're cocky when you're the assistant take one of them off and put on Cooper ah okay, we'll get a goal we'll, no need, no, we'll get it we'll just, we've shaped up that way we'll leave it Brun I said okay so <laughs> in the middle of the second half are we going to get are we going to get to oh aye 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 so uh, Alec was far more democratic than people think people mm-hmm. think he's autocratic and, okay. and he, he bullies and things but you know, he asked players, you know, what do you think? Well, certainly. So he put on David Cooper, took off, I think it was uh, Eamon Bannon. And last 20 minutes, I mean, he created three or four great chances. One for Stevie, and, uh, and of course, Nicol missed it. A couple other bad misses, and we were out the World Cup. Now, the other thing that put us out the World Cup, I think, was the failure of Dalgleish to travel. Okay. He was picked, but he said he was injured. And there was rumours that he felt he was not happy because Hansen wasn't picked, okay. his pal at Liverpool. So there, I've been at three World Cups with Scotland on the staff, and on each occasion, a key player has called off, and that was the first one. Now, when you lose Kenny Leash, there's no doubt in my mind if he had been playing against, <laughs> against Uruguay, it would have been a certainty. Okay. The next World Cup we go to... Italy, 1990, Andy Rocks was the manager, and we lost uh, two players, we lost two forward players. John Robertson of Hearts was doing very well, and he couldn't go. He went to the preparatory session time we had in Malta, but he couldn't go, and David Cooper couldn't go, and they were on fire. Mm-hmm. And then when I got the chance to take the team to France, McAllister got injured, and he couldn't go. Okay. So three World Cups, and I would say four of the best players at the time couldn't go so we've been I mean it's all hard luck story yeah. <laughs> but we've been we've been unlucky after that um, Andy Roxborough eventually became manager some names that were candidates for the job at that point were Billy McNeil Jim McLean why why do you feel that Roxborough got it and well, was it the right call well I think I know why he got it because uh, he was uh, he was in charge of the youth teams and they were exceptionally successful and the man that ran the SFA brilliantly, in my opinion, was Ernie Walker, who was, they now call him chief executive, they called him secretary then, mm-hmm. SFA secretary. Ernie Walker did what he wanted. And he had the chairman of every committee eating out his hand. He played golf for them, so mm-hmm. it was a good idea. And therefore, he wanted Andy Roxburgh because Andy had won the European Championship with the youth team okay. of Scotland. Now, that's quite a, an achievement for Scotland to win a European Youth Championship. And they beat Czechoslovakia in the final in, in Finland. And that was a team which later became a lot of his national team players. Paul McStay was the main player. Pat Nevin, Brian McClare, uh, Davy McPherson, Jim McAnally. I'm trying to remember all the, 
the names of that team, but that's the nucleus of the team. Yeah. Hey, Brian Gunn was the goalkeeper. Now, they all became international players. They won the European Youth Championship, and Andy was the coach. Now, Ernie was looking around the big names, and Andy was on, on site. And then uh, I was working, as I said to you, I was the manager of Clyde part-time, working at the college in, in Ayr, and the Ernie phoned me and asked me if I would come as the assistant. I said, no, I'm not coming as an assistant, <laughs> because because I've always used to having a team. Yeah. And I, I don't feel, he said, well, we'll give you a team. Oh, I said, well, I'll come then, he'll give you the under-21 team. Okay. But would you be the assistant as well? So I had a brilliant uh, dual role, I was a assistant with the national team and and, and that, at that time the under 21 fixtures were the night before okay. so if we were abroad playing anywhere uh, we played the under, the under 21 team played on the Tuesday night and the national team played on the Wednesday so it worked in nicely for for me, I got a smashing job as assistant coach with the national team but I had my own team yeah. and I was desperate to keep a team First port of call and working with Andy Roxburgh was Euro 1988. How much of a blow was it not to to reach that? No, well, it, was a, it was a disappointment, and and I thought you know the knives would be out and there would be a bit of criticism, but at the same time, if I can say uh, modestly, the under 21 team qualified and went on, and we got to the semi final of Europe, mm-hmm. uh, and. I was also given the under-20 team and we went to the World Championship in Chile and we qualified out of the group and we were beaten in the quarter-final after extra time and penalties with by Germany. Now, so the under-age teams, the under-20 team, did really well. And then two years later, the under-16 team, they gave me that to do. We did well, we went to the final of the World Cup. Against Saudi Arabia, we'll touch on that definitely. I packed out Hamden. Did you did you value or were you more passionate about taking care of the the younger age groups rather than being the assistant of the, the first team? No, no, I like both. I had I've been the luckiest guy in football because <laughs> I've had every benefit. You know, working with the young ones, going to tournaments with them, it was a super experience. So nobody's been luckier than I have been in football because. You travel the world at someone else's expense. Mm-hmm. You get responsibility for good lads for these teams, and there is a big difference between international and club football. If you don't like a player in, in international football, either as a player or if his attitude isn't acceptable, you just don't pick him. Mm-hmm. But if you sign a guy in a three-year contract <laughs> with the club, yeah. and you don't like him and, and his attitude stinks, you've got a job. How do I get rid of this guy? He's his problem. Now, I didn't have many of these problems, but I saw them, mm-hmm. you know. And so, therefore, working with the international squad is easier in many respects than working with a, a club team. But the glare or the publicity and the pressure is much greater. What sort of players in the late eighties were coming through that you were coaching in the twenty ones or the twenties? Well, the, the late eighties, the, the, the ones that. Uh, that eventually were in the, the national team. And the perfect example is the guy I see, I'm looking at a website there, and I see the guy that I picked most of all for Scotland in the international team was Tom Boyd. I think I picked him 50 times yep. out of the 70 games I had. 
He was in the under-21. So was Burley. So was John Collins. Uh, the other players that played a lot of games from when a bit older, Colin Henry wasn't in the under-21s. He was away down in England, uh, Blackburn, doing very well down there. Colin Calderwood wasn't. Christian Daly has got a record number of under-21 yes. games, and uh, I think he played uh, something like say, 26 games in the first team when I was the manager. And Paul Lambert was another stalwart in the under-21s, brilliant under-21 player. Was it easy for you to predict that these guys would go on and have stellar careers and play many times for Scotland? Yes, I think so. It was it was a, a logical progression then. And uh, that's what you look for, of course. Your under-21 team should eventually be your first team. And uh, we were lucky at that time. And, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know, there's maybe been five or six managers <clears throat> since I finished with the Scottish team. But they've, they've never had the quality of players that I had. I don't think they have anyway. When you look at the quality, or you look at the clubs they played for for a start. We had three that played for the English champions, Blackburn Rovers. They won the league. And we had Henry, we had uh, Billy McKinley, and we had Kevin Gallagher. And they're all champions of England. <laughs> now we're looking at guys playing for Bournemouth and Derby County and Norwich. And then that, when Andy was a manager, just at the, uh, at the overlap, there were three Manchester United players. I was going down to Old Trafford to see my pal Alec, and, and I would see Leighton, uh, I would see Strachan and McClare pick, to pick for Scotland. So, and then Gary McAllister won the league with Le- Leeds, then went to Liverpool and won three trophies in one season. Now, the players just now are nothing like that. Lambert won the Champions League. They were saying to me, oh, you're the last man to take the team, and you're this, that, and the next thing. I said, the difference was I had better players Okay. than Gordon Strachan had, than Bertie Volts had, than Walter Smith, any of these guys. Far better. Well, they were playing at a better level, and therefore they proved themselves at the highest level in England and abroad. You know, likes of uh, Collins went to Monaco mm-hmm. and beat Manchester United twice in the one season, <laughs> as he told me they would, <laughs> uh, because, because of their superior fitness. And, you know, the, the luck that I've had, I just can't explain. You know, I just, I don't know, I'm really extremely fortunate to have had good players at the right time. Well, I think, I think though, you can take a lot of credit in the fact that you've coached a lot of these ex-players from a young age. Aye, yeah, well, they knew, they knew the rules. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a wee bit of a school teacher, you know. They, if, I, if you look at the Scottish team playing the opening game of the World Cup in, in France, uh, and I'm coming out the dressing room, and the line-up for the anthems. Every jersey's in. Every stocking's up the same. There's no tape around the stocking. You know, and what I find is this, that with the bigger the star, the easier it is to handle. You know, and it's, I'll, I'll mention Stephen Nicholl again, because I remember <laughs> I'm watching him. I was the assistant manager, and he's got, we're putting on the red Scotland socks at this day, and he's putting white tape around to hold his shin guard. I said, hey, that's unacceptable, Stevie. And he looked at me. He says, ah, we've got red socks at Liverpool. We're allowed to, but I said, excuse me, this is not a pub team Liverpool. <laughs> this is Scotland you're playing for. No, are we, and, and, you know, they just smile yeah. and they do what you tell them. You know, there is never, I've never found any big player, international player, to defy you or open. Okay. So if, if you watch the Scottish team going out to play for it, every jersey's in, stockings are immaculate, and they're all singing the anthem because they were told and we practised. So I found it easy to uh, organise them and motivate them uh, uh, and the training was 
regimented, you know, uh, and they appreciated that. They, they like to know where they are and they like to know, you know, I, I learned a lot watching Alec Ferguson. He had 11 games, Scotland Mines, and I was there on the staff. He was far more demo. He would say, we've got a free kick, who's going to take it? What are we going to do? He doesn't say, you'll do this, you'll do that. And somebody will say, oh, we've got one at uh, our club. Well, let's hear mm-hmm. it. That's how you'd operate. Okay. I'm a kind of stickler for things that you can control. You can control how they turn out. Mm-hmm. And you can control their timing and their behaviour. And we things like, at yeah, half-time, you run off. You don't walk off, you run off. And you just tell them that once, and they do it. They want to be told. Uh, it's, I think it's sloppy, you know, they kind of slouch off at half-time. Is it instilling just a wee bit of discipline? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Discipline's easy with it because you, you get terrific power over these guys. You've got power of selection, the international team. With a club manager, you get power of payment mm-hmm. and selection. <laughs> well, see, power of selection is a terrific grip you've got them mm-hmm. because uh, they've got to do... If they weren't selected... The fear of conform. being dropped, really, yeah. from playing for their country. Correct. You've got to conform. And they know what you want. And, and if they pretend they don't, they're pretending. We'll not skip past Italia 90. I read when I was doing my research that Stuart McCall summed up that tournament in three words... Disaster, delight, despair. Would you go along with that? Oh yeah. Well, I, I quite. I thought we enjoyed that tournament, that one. And, and the first game we lost to Costa Rica, uh, and of course the fans weren't happy. Yeah. And but they had no idea. Sometimes they need to be educated that Costa Rica were a good side, <laughs> and Costa Rica had a uh, had a very successful qualification group. And uh, when we lost that, uh, oh, a lot of disgruntled mm-hmm. fans, Scotland, had gone over to Italy to the World Cup, and there was a big banner. We were driving to the next game against Sweden, and there was a big banner P45 for Roxburgh, you know. Because right. the boys in the bus, they were laughing. <laughs> hey, Andy, you're in the side, the players. Uh, but it, made a, it was light hearted because uh, they the, the liked Andy, and they, they didn't approve of the. Fans being as critical, but uh, I Stuart McCall's three words. Mate, he he did very well. He scored the goal against Sweden uh, uh, in the next game, and he played very well. McCall was an example of a guy that teach him the anthem. You know, mm. he he was brought up down south of the border there, but uh, but he's very Scottish. You know? Yeah, it's very much Scotland at heart. Stuart aye, McCall, aye. Isn't he? Alan McCoy has said that he believes at that point Mo Johnson was in the top three strikers in the world. Do you, would you think that's a, a wee bit embellished? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. He was very, very good. There's no doubt about that. It was, and a great character. And that's my best pairing, McCoy mm-hmm. and Johnson. You know, you okay. these two together, the chemistry between these two was terrific. And uh, Mo liked to enjoy himself and have a champagne now and again <laughs> and a wee drink. But you know, he was a wonderful uh, trainer. Great character about the place, and uh, well, I wouldn't disagree with Ali when he said he was one of the top strikers because he he, he proved it playing it with Watford of all mm-hmm. in England. He proved it in Scotland with a couple of clubs, and he pr- he proved it in France, and then he went to America. Mm-hmm. So he was the most likable guy, Morris Johnson, and. When the guy's likable and he scores a goal or two for you, well, you you've got great affection for him. <laughs> I've I've read that the Sweden match was possibly won before kickoff in the tunnel with the approach to the game taken by Scotland, how aggressive they were in their setup, 
shouting and geeing each other up in the tunnel. Is that something that was instilled in the squad, or was that just natural for them well, as players? That was really, that was really the only time I've heard that being like that. You know, I don't believe in war paint. You know, I've spoken to you know the rugby coaches Edgar Townsend and uh, Andy Robinson before him, and they say, see this all this war paint stuff, shouting, ah, come on, we'll do this, we'll do that. The big rugby players, they say, Ian McGeechan, I read with the British Lions, I read his book, Brilliant, he says the big rugby players before a game, they sit and you can see that they're visualising things in their mind and it's concentration rather than this. I think on that occasion, Sweden game, we were getting so much criticism that the lads were up for it and it, the problem was trying to keep, calm them down. But a guy like Roy Aiken, you know, what a... And he, he come on... We'll sort them in. Of course, the opposition are yeah. looking over their shoulders and saying, What's this? These are animals. We, <laughs> you know? And I think, I've got to say, I think it was effective. Uh, it's not a kind of thing you could do uh, every game because it would be ineffective then. But on the odd occasion, on that occasion, I wouldn't say the game was won in the tunnel, but it, it was. Gives an advantage. Aye, exactly. Yeah, yeah there, was okay. an, there was an impact made in the tunnel. And the Brazil game, I mean, a draw would have been enough. A horrible goal to concede in the last ten minutes or so, and then Tafarel makes the save from from Johnson. How, how do you remember that unfolding? Well, I remember it quite vividly. Yeah, it was a wonderful save. You know, our time in these tournaments, my time, in these, has been, has been uh, heartbreak. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the words that uh, Stuart McCall used. It, it was. I wouldn't say disaster. I don't think we ever had a disaster. We had disappointment. But uh, you know, I'll come. You'll come to one later, I'm sure, about one of my games, uh, Morocco. But mm-hmm. and, and I'll tell you, I was disagreeing with Archie McPherson. <laughs> but you know, when you lose heavily, it, it, it sounds like, as Archie said, a humiliation. Well, I don't think any game that we played in any World Cup, and and I'm not trying just to excuse ourselves. I don't think with the uh, Alec Ferguson. The, the one that maybe could have been humiliation, not being able to beat 10 men of Uruguay. But we did everything we could, and Alec did everything he could, and we just couldn't get the ball in the net. And it was one of those days. So I don't think uh, disgrace or humiliation is appropriate. Now, same with Andy Roxman in uh, Italy. We were very unfortunate. And the, the, the goal, the Brazil goal, you know, it was a good save from Jim Layton, but he didn't hold it. and he pushed it back out aye, towards the danger area. That's right. And Jim's an excellent keeper. He, that's something that people forget. He, he had 91 caps and 42 clean sheets. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, it's a good record. But as, as the game approaches its final 10 minutes and it's still nil-nil, enough for Scotland to go through, are you expecting it or...? Are you expecting it to stay that way, or yeah. is there always the worry? This is Brazil; they could break us down here. Yeah, well, no, we actually it wasn't complacent, but I didn't think they were going to score. Mm-hmm. They had eighty minutes to score and didn't, and I thought surely we'll manage to keep them at bay for the last few minutes, the last ten. But inevitably, it happened, and but we're talking about one of the best teams, if not the best in the world, and you know, you, it's no disgrace to lose. And it was a kind of honourable defeat, if there's such a thing. It's a story of Scotland, really, I isn't it? It's a story of the life, though. Well, before we move on to your tenure as 
as first team manager rather than assistant, I'd like to touch on the World Cup final, the under-16 World Cup final uh, in 89, I believe, was it, against Saudi Arabia? 89, yes. Looking back, is it not quite incredible that 50,000 people packed out Hamden for, for that game and, and captured the, the imagination like, of the I, country? Captured the imagination of the, of the country. Well, what was I thought what was even more amazing was the semi-final was at Tynecastle, and uh, there was people shut out. They couldn't, mm-hmm. and you know, Tynecastle wasn't all seated then. It held twenty-seven thousand. There were twenty-seven thousand in, and they say there was four or five thousand wow. couldn't, couldn't get in to the semi. <laughs> now we played the Portugal, and Figo uh, was playing was in that Figo game. Was Figo playing? Was he? Aye, against us, and you know it was a, it was a, that was a tremendous game. Uh, because Tynecastle's mm-hmm. back. Now, so was the final at Hamden. Well, I was threatened by Ernie Walker, who was the chief executive. <laughs> he says, the quality of this tournament depends on Scotland. If, if Scotland are not successful, this tournament will be a disaster. You've got to, you know, he threatened you. You know, put the pressure on you. It wouldn't make any difference to the way you operate it. But he said, you've got to do it. And uh, we had to play, the first game we only had the uh, 9,000 in the first game against Ghana, it was at Hamden. That's still a, a good game. Aye, a good game. Aye, not bad. I mean, I hear the ladies just now, they're delighted to get four and a half. Yeah. Uh, but we had 9,000 with these young lads at Hamden. We played uh, at uh, Motherwell, and it was about 15,000. And then we played at Aberdeen against East Germany, and again, it was about 15,000, 16,000, I think. And then the semi-final was a pack-out. The press did well for us. They built up the tournament and there was no other football. It was the summer, it was the June. So if you're a football guy, there was a youth team playing in the World Cup and Pele had come over to visit the games and he gave it a real boost. His presence, such a nice guy and such a wonderful ambassador for football. So when Pele was saying go and see the games... (laughs) <laughs> Hunters were saying, Kelly told me to go. <laughs> so, uh, so the, I, I remember you know, more vividly the semi-final, but the final was a good game. We, we actually were very, very unfortunate because Brian O'Neill uh, missed two penalties. Mm-hmm. He missed one during the game, uh, which would have put us 3-1 up. And then it was 2-1, we got a penalty. Only about 15 minutes to go. And then they equalised at the end. Yeah. And then after the extra time, it was still equal, and uh, he missed the sixth penalty. Ah. You know, I wouldn't get let them take one of the first five, and uh, they all went in. It was five each, so he missed number six. So to miss two penalties in a World Cup final, <laughs> <laughs> I never let him forget it. <laughs> I don't think he will ever forget it himself. No. There's all the rumours though that uh, the Saudi Arabian side were. Aye, well, I think they were. I think um, there's no doubt they were. Aye, they were overage. Well, because I I know one of the coaches that we had, uh, the coaching course at Largs, coached in Saudi Arabia. He says, there's no doubt. He said, they they definitely didn't. They they, they start their birth certificate when they're five. You know, (laughs) and they, they. they were, they were going into Victoria's nightclub to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> this is under 16. <laughs> so, uh, aye, wait, wait. If proof were needed, there you go. Aye, you, you couldn't do anything about it, I'm afraid. Well, that's life. Um, well, we move on to Euro Championships in 1992, the first European Championships yeah, yeah. that Scotland qualified for. How, how great was that? Well, that was good. That was uh, superb. Well, we had been, I, I was lucky I had been to Mexico, 86, and then had, Andy had taken the team 
Now the thing about 92 that none of the press ever give credit to Andy Roxburgh eh, for getting us to that tournament because only eight teams qualified. It used to be 16 to qualify for the World Cup and you know Andy qualified and I qualified when it was 16 teams qualified but Andy should have got a medal for getting Scotland into the last eight of Europe at that level and we went to, that was a good tournament over in the in the Sweden, Sweden. So a very tough group ah, it was a tough group always when Germany's there it's a tough group yeah you know and it, it was, there was a, I'm trying to remember there was a, a Denmark Hol- Ger- Holland, Holland Germany and the Commonwealth, Commonwealth of yeah, right. independent states uh, yeah I remember the Holland was one nothing. you know the Dutch were a, a superb team I remember more the coach was uh, uh, the famous uh, Renus Michels, mm-hmm. who won everything with Ajax, and then he was the manager. And I'll give you a wee exclusive story. We were talking to him after the game, and he says, I didn't want to be here, you know. I says, well, why not? He says, because, you know, the only man that can manage these Dutch egos is a guy who's a big star player, uh, or a guy who's got more money than them. Ah, okay. And he says, well, I wasn't a big star player. <laughs> so, But they know... I had made a lot of money because of the winning the European Cup with Ajax, and I was independently wealthy. Well, they, all, they knew that, so they respected me for that. Okay. And what happened was they tried to get uh, Cruyff. Sorry, they tried to get Cruyff to take the team. Mm-hmm. He was at Barcelona at the time, and he'd been coaching the Barcelona team. And they said, "Would you take the team just for the European Championship?" And he said, "Yeah, I'll do it for a quarter of a million euros." Yeah. And they wouldn't pay him that for a month. So he said he asked for too much money. They ended up having to take me. And I was the only one that could get any respect from these guys because I had at least as much money as they as had. As well, right, OK. And you know, he told us that wee line, and I thought, that's amazing that uh, you know the players respect ability, football ability, mm-hmm. or respected him. He says, oh, I could buy and sell a lot of them. So they were kind of envious and respectful. So... And his assistant was Bert van Lingen, who became Advocate's assistant at Rangers. So I knew the coaching staff very well, and, and because Andy Rocks and I used to go over and do coaching sessions, would you believe? We, we went over to coaching Zeist in Holland every year for quite a number of years, and uh, we were doing their A license course there. So I got a basic knowledge of Dutch language. I, I learned the one swear phrase, and that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> The, the one swear phrase there, if you're not happy with a player, you say, Hunt for Doma. <laughs> Aye, that's, nice, that's a nice sounding word, Hunt for Doma. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you I don't know what it means. <laughs> I'm sure. But uh, we, we, you know, apparently that uh, when Advocat was a Rangers manager, he used to say that to the Dutch players okay. and the Rangers, the Scots boys, and what's he saying? He's <laughs> swearing at us. So the, I knew the staff very well, liked the staff, the Dutch staff, nice, nice guys. Okay. Uh, do, do you dread, do you dread a draw like that in a finals? Are you hoping no, for an easier no. win, or is it? A, it's a I think when you get to the final, I, I've got to say, I, mean, I I I don't want to sound complacent, but I think I think when you get to the finals, you'll take anybody. Okay. You would like a soft draw to progress, but you'll take anybody because the fans like to see the glamour teams. Uh, it would be lovely to get a soft draw, uh, but um, it is. I think it's nearly impossible, I think, to get a soft draw. Aye, in a when you get that level, that's right. 
even even there's twenty four teams. But when there were eight teams, you couldn't get it's a the best of the best. Aye, yeah, that's right. Guaranteed to come up against Aye. them. Or even when there were sixteen teams, when we went to Euro ninety six in England, I think it was sixteen teams. Mm-hmm. So the, the sixteen from the there's now fifty five in Europe. Mm-hmm. At that time, I think it was fifty one or two. But yeah. there's been a couple of additions. That tour, that tournament, obviously, you got you got the win against CIS, and then yes. a nice nice, nice way to, to bow out of the of the tournament after that. Turned out to be Roxburgh's last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you take over um, in nineteen ninety three, December nineteen ninety three, I believe. Yes. So when you take over, how does that come around? Are you expecting the call after the caretaker games, or is it still very much up in the air? No, it's still up in the air. I think. Well, I thought it was still up in the air, but to the after the when Andy resigned with two games to go, and uh, that was a uh, Malta away and Italy away. Yeah. yeah well, I, I remember going to Italy. Uh, with the team and I wasn't confirmed as a manager and therefore I didn't think I was getting the job and okay. I, wasn't, I wasn't pushing for it because it's a nice job the under 21s and uh, I knew I had that job still and I went to Italy with a team and Italy had to beat us to qualify for the American World Cup and <clears> this was their big game and the place at the uh, Olympic Stadium in Rome was packed and the flares were going up <laughs> and uh, Intimidating atmosphere. Aye, so I made a, I, I don't know, with hindsight, it was a mistake. I made a selection error. I, I always had this idea, and it was successful eh, with the under 21s. If you're playing the opposition, you're fighting Indians, you kill the chief, so you look for their best player mm-hmm. and you eliminate them. And I looked at their best player, Baggio. So I'm not going to play Paul McStay because he's not that kind of. Player, I'm going to play David Bowman <laughs> to, to cement Baggio. <laughs> you know, when I think back, uh, how stupid was I? Uh, why did you play Bowman? Well, I had good reason to play Bowman. In actual fact, Baggio had a quiet game. But Paul McStay was a fantastic Scotland player. And I had nothing against him because I had him in the under 21s and I had him in the youths and he was marvellous. But I thought Paul's too quiet and retiring for this environment. This is a kicking mm-hmm. job, yeah. well, a, a, a sorting out job rather. Better, <laughs> and so I put uh, Bowman onto Baggio, and we did not too badly in the game. But uh, and I fell out with one of the main sports writers, and I always tell the managers when I'm talking to them now, don't do what I did, and nail the lead sports writer in Scotland at the time, it was Jim Trainer. So I would I went out to see the warm up and I couldn't see them. No Italian team. So I said to this guy, Where are the Italian Oh and he says, In warming up indoors. There's a big indoor pitch. Okay. And I said, Where? And they showed me and I went in. And I watched them warming up. <laughs> you know, I was shitting myself <laughs> the sweat was running down Baggio's ponytail. The tempo of the warm up, I mean the ball was so they never came out. Our boys were out. Mm-hmm. So in they came. I think Murdoch McLeod was the one that was doing the coaching of them. And in they came, and I sat them down. I said, look, I've just seen the highest tempo warm-up ever. Mm-hmm. You will never see t- a team going as fast before a game. And if they start like that, we better right be on it. And I warned them. Well, I went out there in four minutes, <laughs> one down. <laughs> <laughs> you know <what> <laughs> And it was a long-range shot, and Brian Gunn was a goalie, it bounced in. 
So I was standing in that track at the Olympic Stadium where they do the athletics, and I thought, I wish there was a big hole here and I could jump in. <laughs> uh, but we kind of worked our way back into the game, and we got a goal just before half-time, Gallagher. So it was 1-1, and then uh, they got another one in the second half. Don Adoni scored just at the end, and, uh, well, I didn't think for a minute I was going to get the job, and I wasn't even concerned. So the next day I've got to do the press at Hamden, and again, and uh, I'll read the Herald newspaper, and trainer's the writer. It says, Italy treated Scotland with predictable contempt. They didn't even bother with a warm-up. And then he went on to slaughter me. So, first question, well, what about that last night? He says, what about that last night? You know, that way. I says, what about you this morning? <laughs> That's what I said to him. What do you, what do you mean? I says, if you can't get your facts right, how can anybody, any reader possibly respect your opinions? That's what I said to him. That didn't go down well. It went down well with a lot of the rest. They were going, yeah, he's needing that. But he then moved quickly from the hell to the record and for eight years slaughtered me right. just because I spoke back to him. And he found every reason to find a fault. Well, to be fair, because he wasn't too popular with the others, I get good press from the others, okay. but not from him. But it's just a mistake to take the one of the lead writers and say to him you know you kind of get your facts right <laughs> which is true but it's not the thing to say you, you, I think you've got to bite your tongue maybe aye, aye, be more diplomatic and what about when, when you're the Scotland manager even as part of the coaching staff not the first team what's it like dealing with the pressure from the press and, and the nation how, how much does it weigh you down it doesn't weigh no I didn't wear me down I was I was quite ambivalent towards it because were, you know I, I I had another job if I get sacked and I could go back to teaching and I wasn't they didn't put me under pressure and I, I'll be quite honest I was never and I never felt under pressure at a game I never went to a game nervous I went to a game looking forward to it mm-hmm. and they, they they had a go right enough but you you don't like criticism you like them to be positive sure. and and you're cutting out the good press <laughs> <laughs> and you're binning the the poor ones, yeah. you know, you're doing that kind of thing. Uh, I think it's human nature. But you want everyone to like you. Well, it's impossible if you're the football manager. Yeah. Because, but... So many different opinions, nobody's going to... No, you're never going to get to unanimity. And, uh, therefore, uh, I've got to say that uh, I got on well with most of them. And still do. But uh, when you take on the first... When then Jim... Uh, the other one, Jerry McNee wrote in the News of the World every Sunday and he phoned me on a Friday for a story and if I didn't give him a story he took exception to me you know, mm-hmm. there must be something why are, you, why are you not picking Richard Goff? I said, I'm not picking them. why are you not picking them? I said, I'm just not selecting them. Mm-hmm. he's the best centre half, well that's your opinion you know, mm-hmm. he wouldn't he wanted you to, so that he got an exclusive and I wasn't going to give him it mm-hmm. so he fell out with me <laughs> only the two, trainer and and now trainer, every time I see him, he's, he's my best pal. But the rest of the press I got on well with. Okay, so so when you get given the job, and how, how does that come around then when the phone call is made to you? Yes, Craig, we want you to take charge of No, it wasn't a phone call. I was, I, I was asked to take two games, and I took the first one in Italy, and then the next one was in Malta. And in the hotel, the night before the game, the day of the game, sorry, uh, the president called me over, 
uh, it was George Pete was his name, I think, with the chief executive, and they said, we'd like you to take the job. Would you be willing to accept it? I said, well, what happens with my under-21 thing? If it doesn't go well, is that me sacked? Or, no, no, if it doesn't go well, the only condition, I didn't say how much am I getting or anything, I just said, I want to have a job in football, which I like, and I like under If you want rid of me, would you demote me rather than throw me out the whole SFA? So they agreed that verbally. And I said, well, I'll be happy to take the job. So... The president came into the dressing room before the game. I didn't say to the players at all. I didn't even say to the staff. I was waiting to... I was official, mm-hmm. official. Here he comes in, the president, George Pete, comes into the dressing room uh, before the Malta game. They sit down, guys, I wanted to have a word with you. I, I wondered what he was going to give him a bonus or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way, incidentally, if you want a chairman out of the dressing room. If the chairman comes in the dressing room you say to him is that you and to double the bonus he goes out <laughs> well uh, George Pete uh, just to want to let you know that uh, we're appointing Craig as a manager and uh, uh, you, I want you, you guys to be first to know now I mean I remember they all clapped so okay. I thought, and Gary McAllister was the captain and he made a wee speech I can't remember what he said but he, more or less uh, all of us Craig and we're behind you and blah blah so that's how it happened and we never talked about length of contract we never talked about money or a bonus or anything just would you take it I said yeah, yeah. now I never had an agent at any time in my football life so uh, it cost me a lot of money I think because I just took the job I said just pay me what the going mm-hmm. rate is and be fair and I never even with any job even after that I went to Preston I've been at Derby Fulham Aberdeen Motherwell mm-hmm. I've never had an agent and I, and I say when they talk about salary, I said, just be fair, that's all. Yeah. Uh, don't take the piss and I'll take the job. Is that because to you it's more about passion and pride? Of the Aye, job well, you, you want a good salary, you want to be, them to be fair. The difference was I had huge bonuses, right, you know, okay. for, for qualifications rather. Huge bonuses, so you, you'd earn them. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't embarrassed taking the bonus, but I just... The salary was good, but it wasn't fantastic. Well, you certainly did earn your bonuses with the two tournaments in the 90s. First one was 96. Three goals conceded in qualifying for that. Did you like to set up and build your team from the back and make sure that was the first port of call? Hard to beat. Yeah, well, well, the same same three goals conceded in 10 games for the World Cup Mm -hmm. on occasion as well. So 20 games, (laughs) we lost six goals. But we we didn't play defensively. And I always, when, if anybody says that to me, I say, did you ever see any team we put out that hadn't two strikers? We always had two strikers. Now, to get two strikers, uh, we wanted three at the back, which is now coming back into Vogue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I learned the three-five-two by using it with under-21s and playing against Germany, matching up, who played 3-5-2 with under-21s. That was the system that won the World Cup for Germany. And it was a system that, that won the European Champions League for Dortmund. And I sat Lambert down one day, like, we are sitting. I said, tell me how Hesfeld played. And it was that was where I learned it, asking Paul Lambert.
Social Podcast Network.